All right, as we're looking at marriage, uh, ball and chain are bliss. And let me qualify that statement, bliss, right up front. Um, we all know what ball and chain means, but let's qualify the statement, bliss. Okay, and we're looking at it from a biblical pers- perspective, and uh, literally the word means supreme fulfillment. And we're talking about supreme fulfillment for the glory of God, which is the primary purpose that we exist on this earth after we accept Christ, is to bring God glory. Uh, and I would argue that it is also the primary purpose of our marriage. And we're going to look at some Scripture, and we're going to look at some values that uh, can help us in that process and help us re-understand and hopefully redefine for some the purpose of marriage. Now, there are three institutions given to us in Scripture and that are biblically mandated and given to us. The first one is this. It's government. Government is listed for us. Of course, it's uh, talked about in the Old Testament, and then Paul uh, makes a special case in Romans about the importance of government and our submission to the authorities who are governing. And then secondly, uh, of course, is the church, the institution of the church that God has provided, which Christ uses the metaphor, and we'll see in just a moment a little bit more about the picture of marriage, but the metaphor of Christ and that the church is the bride of Christ. And then the third one is the family. So three institutions given to us in Scripture. Government, the church, family. And the primary aspect and course of driving cog of the family is marriage. It's the husband and the wife. The purpose of marriage is to bring God glory. Then we should treat our spouses as Christ treated the church, if that's the picture. So, what is the purpose? Well, number one, marriage is a picture of God. Even as we go back as far as Genesis chapter 1, verses 27 and 28, the Bible says that God said, Now let us create man in our image. You see the picture there. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit being created in the image of God Almighty. So first of all, marriage is a picture. We see that in Ephesians chapter 5. We also see a very vivid detail uh, in metaphor of marriage in Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9, as we see the wedding banquet and the feast, and we see that picture given to us. So marriage is to be a picture of our relationship with God and God's relationship to us. It's interesting that for the Jew, the great verse... Uh, particularly of the Old Testament, which is the only one that Jews would uh, actually ascribe to, but particularly in in the older days, in the ancient days, uh, the great verse that every good Jew would quote usually three times a day was the Shema. Hear, O hear, Israel, the Lord God is one. And then it goes on to say, you shall love him with your heart, soul, and mind. But that was a very distinguishing characteristic of the Israel people, of the people of Jehovah, of Yahweh, that they believed in one God, the one true and living God, that He was the all in all, that there was no other God. And I believe that's probably why God has uh, the just broken heart uh, over divorce when He looks at it because it uh, decimates that picture of marriage. Most of us come in with our pictures of marriage, and Dr. Howard Hendricks at DTS always said it like this. 
He said, uh, if you come in with this dream picture of marriage, here's what's going to happen. When you find out that that's not true, you're either going to tear up the picture or you're going to tear up the marriage. And there's a lot of truth to that. But the picture that God describes is not necessarily about our happiness, but really more about our holiness. Let's continue on what the purpose of marriage is. Procreation. We know that. He said, be fruitful and multiply. Number three, partnership. In Genesis 2.18, he said, man needs a helper. So he made someone suitable. Not someone just like him, but someone suitable for him. And then number four, purity. Now, that word purity certainly means sex within the confines of marriage, but also means refining. Gary Thomas wrote a book called Sacred Marriage, and I highly recommend it, Sacred Marriage. And his uh, preface is this. Could it be that God created the institution of marriage more for the aspect of making us holy than happy? I believe that's true, and I believe Scripture teaches that. That marriage is really more for the purpose of creating us and making us into the image of God than it is just making us happy. The problem is, is we fall prey to a lot of myths that are given, even for Christian marriages. We hear myths all the time, and we want to believe that this is the way it's supposed to be for us, that marriages should be heaven on earth, that godliness will ensure marital bliss. If you just love God, then... Boy, everything will be great and your marriage will be perfect. But there are a lot of myths that are perpetrated from even good-believing Christians. First one is is that when you get married, that loneliness will go away. That you'll always be fulfilled and that person will meet every need that you have. And you'll never be lonely or needy in any fashion again. Scripture just doesn't teach that. Here's what Scripture teaches is that you have married a fallen and sinful person. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So that's there's a reality, okay? So it doesn't promise marriage never was meant to fulfill every need that you have. God Almighty is where we are to turn to. And we ultimately, let me tell you this, we won't completely feel supremely fulfilled until we get to heaven. There's always going to be some little need, some desire in your life. And believe it or not, God didn't come to meet every desire of your heart. He came to transform the desires of your heart, that we might know Him and be made in His likeness and in His image. Another myth is uh, what you might call is uh, kind of the uh, everybody else has it or everybody else is happy myth. Why, why am I not? What's wrong with my marriage? Because everybody else's seems to look good. The truth of it is, is we all have struggles in our marriage. I've had struggles in my marriage. I'm sure I'll have struggles again. The question is not whether we'll have struggles. The question is, what are you going to do about it when it comes? How are you going to handle it? Every once in a while, somebody will say, well, you know, my parents, they never argued. Or they'll say, we, we never fight. We've never had an argument in 50 years. I'm, I'm just thinking, yeah, one of you wasn't listening. Um, that's what's going on. One of you deaf and you just nod your head. That's what that means. We've all argued we're all going to have conflict. It's not a matter if, it's a matter of when, and how are you going to handle it? From what perspective do you come at it? Recognize that everybody struggles, that it's just like the ebb and flow of life. There are mountains and there are valleys. And another one is this. Um, my spouse should just know what it is I need or what's bothering them without me having to say anything. Well, good luck on that one. 
Good luck on unhappiness the rest of your life, okay? Hey, let's just admit that we all, and I know this is primarily like wife thinking about husband. I know that's about 90% of it. And then there's the 10% my wife doesn't get it either. I get that. But you know what? If we don't communicate and if we don't tell them what it is that we need, this guessing game business, that's just a, that's just a life of frustration. That's what you signed up for there. And you're thinking, we've been married 10 years. You think he would know. Sorry, okay? Uh, just treat us like we're stupid and you'll be okay, all right? Let's just go at it that way. And then last but not least, a myth that a lot of times we fall in is that conflict means that there's no love in the relationship. That's not what it means at all. It means two people have very strong opinions and two people have strong desire. The problem is, is that when two people seek to be the master in the relationship, those are the worst marriages. Those are the marriages that end in destruction. The best marriages are when we approach it as two servants who seek to outserve the other. So recognize that we live in a fallen world. Sometimes people have adverse reactions to godliness and that suffering is part of the process. It's the part of the process in which we come into the image of Christ. Now, let's take our Bibles and let's look at Colossians chapter 3. And again, Paul is writing here in Colossians 3, and he's communicating this message, the adequacy of Christ, that Christ is the supreme fulfillment of the prophecies and of the Word of God, and that not only is he the supreme fulfillment, but Paul also makes the argument for the emptiness of human wisdom and human philosophy. Again, this is a picture, and this was a directive to the church, but I believe it's true for us as spouses as well in marriage. Beginning in verse 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever things belong to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, and greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways, in the life you once lived, but now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language from your lips. And then verse 9, do not lie to each one other. Be, be honest. There's a good value for marriage right there. Since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge and the image of the Creator, here there is no Greek or Jew circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Great characteristics for us to seek to demonstrate in our marriage. You see here in verse 13, he says, Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Bear, to support, to hold up. The same word that is used for faithful, to support and to help and to assist and to uh, carry a heavy load. Bear, bear one another. Bear not only uh, our grievances, but right here he says, bear with each other and forgive whatever Grievances you may have against one another. Forgive. Another value of marriage. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. 
And over all these virtues put on love, which binds them together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body you are called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, as you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, gratitudes in your hearts. And whatever you do, whether you do in word or deed, do in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through Him. In other words, love God with all that you are. It's the great commandment Jesus gave in Mark chapter 12, verse 30. Biblical values to live by. First of all, loving God. Well, what does it mean to love God? I'll tell you what it like, looks like to love God in your marriage. It means allowing God to change your orientation from what it is that you just naturally want. A chain, let them change your, your orientation to serving your spouse and loving your spouse. Not always getting exactly what you want, but thinking, God, what would honor you most in this situation? I'll never forget, and I've told this story before, when early in our marriage, uh, my wife was doing some work up in Toronto, and she was up there for a couple of weeks, so I went up there to see her one weekend. We'd only been married about seven or eight months. This is still the honeymoon period. And I decide that <clears throat> I find out the Dallas Mavericks are playing up there. Well, how often do you get to see the Mavericks in Toronto? That's pretty reasonable, isn't it? So I, I'm, I'm going to go see the Mavericks. So we go to um, Niagara Falls. She has, the, she has the day. I guess it's on a Saturday. She has the day off. And so we go to Niagara Falls. We come back. Well, we're not going to have time to stop and eat if I'm going to get to the game on time. Now, this is important because when am I going to be in Toronto again to watch basketball, okay? And so you would think that she would be reasonable and understand, well, honey, you can get a hot dog at the game, okay? They got hot dogs. You can even get chili on them. You'll be fine. But she wants to eat. She wants to eat a real meal because she's only had breakfast, and I'd like to stop and get something real to eat. Well, honey, if we do that, we're just not going to make it. I'm sorry. Uh, you're going to have to be understanding. We've got to get to the game. That's just that's just important, and surely a reasonable person can understand that. And with, with, with no uh, good sense to my, to my uh, person at that point, I, I say that, and um, we end up getting this huge fight. I mean, it's probably the worst one we've ever had. She's yelling, I'm yelling, we're yelling at each other. And I'm a pastor, by the way. And we're doing this, and <clears throat> it's just, you know, this is going great. And, um, and I finally, I look over, and she's just bawling, you know, and she's crying. And, and uh, so I soften up, and... After, you know, an hour or two, we, we kind of get through that, and I get to go to the fourth quarter of the game. And the um, good news is I got in for $5. But nevertheless, uh, we kind of walked through that. And later on that evening, you know, when everything was back to the way it should be, uh, I asked her and I said, Honey, at that moment when we're doing that and you're weeping and wailing and, and yelling and I'm yelling, I said, Did you think about you? We're going to divorce me. You didn't want to do this anymore. And she goes, no, that's why it was so depressing, is I knew I was going to have to live with you the rest of my life. <laughs> you know, I could almost ask for a show of hands of a testimony, uh, but I won't ask that. We, we've all been there. But one of the primary objectives and vows that I made to God when we got married uh, was to love her. And for me to love God, it means that I'm going to have to recognize that there's going to have to be a permanence about my relationship with her. You know, what are the, what are the purposes of marriage? Well, let me give you the purpose of marriage. We told, talked about it all ago. It's the picture of God, the procreation, the partnership, the per purity. But a value for me to love God is for me to say, I'm in this 
even though it may not be exactly what I anticipated, it's not going my way, and it's difficult. God used this to conform me in your image. Number two, honesty. As we read earlier in Colossians, the importance of honesty. Now, honesty certainly means being open, uh, letting your spouse, giving them the opportunity to ask questions, giving them permission uh, and the blessing to, quite frankly, check on you when needed. I'm not talking about a paranoia, but I, I'm saying, you know what? Your emails ought to be open. Your phone call list ought to be open. They ought to be able to ask you some questions. And if they get too paranoid, go to a counselor, okay? But you ought to be open. And if you want to ensure honesty and trust, that's a good way to see it happen. You know, I remember, um, I remember when I was getting ready to get married, I was meeting with my mentor. And I told him, you know, here are a couple things are going to have to change because this just isn't fair. And I'll never forget what he told me. I mean, it rings my head to this day. Hey, buddy, if you're looking for fairness, you're looking in the wrong place. You need to go somewhere else. We get so consumed with the fairness issue, but God is concerned with the holiness issue. So love God, be honest, but also use discernment in that honesty. You want to say everything that you think and you feel? That's just stupidity, okay? I remember I was dating, excuse me, I had this roommate before I got married when I was dating Allison. I remember poor guy just went through girlfriend after girlfriend after girlfriend after girlfriend. And what would happen, I saw this pattern, and we'll call him Buddy. Buddy would um, start dating somebody, and then he would see something he didn't like about her. And a lot of times it would even be cosmetic. And he would say, you know, you need to change that. And he would say that, and then, you know, it would go up south like a lead balloon at that point. And I remember talking to him one night. He said, you know, I'm just trying to be honest. I'm just telling him what I think and what I feel and what would make me happy. And I said, well, there's your first problem right there. You know, first of all, recognize there are things about you. Well, she can tell me if she wants to tell me. They can tell me. I just need somebody. I can just tell them everything I think. That's not wisdom. That's selfishness sometimes. It's one thing uh, to be honest and to communicate your feelings and your concerns and your values. It's another thing to be nitpicky. Okay? When we love and we accept something, we accept the whole thing. And it means sometimes recognizing that you have to adjust to reality. You know what I mean? I snore, my wife snore. Welcome to reality. And I can stick things in her nose, and she can give me mechanisms, and at the end of the day, it's still going to happen. All right? That's a reality. There are realities in, in life, and we can choose to fight over them, and we'll just fight forever. But what are the values that you're going to live by? Loving God, honesty, faithfulness. He said, bear with one another. Bear. Faith, be faithful. Prop up support, trust, encourage the permanency, believe in one another. You know, as we said earlier, the best marriage is when two people seek to serve one another. The worst marriage is when we seek to master. And even though the husband should take the spiritual lead, leading means serving. It means loving. It means dying for your marriage and for your spouse. And it doesn't just mean physically dying. It means emotionally and egotistically letting some things die and give yourself for your wife. Next is forgiveness, the value of forgiveness. The Bible tells us in Ecclesiastes verse, chapter 7, verse 20, that there is not a righteous man on earth 
who does what is right and never sins. We're all going to sin. We're all going to fall short of the glory of God. And we have to recognize that and accept that and be willing to forgive and to release. Now, that doesn't mean that there aren't sometimes consequences in our relationship. In other words, let me give you a picture. Forgiveness is this. Forgiveness means you don't punish them. You don't berate them. You don't continue down that down, down that road of beating them up and holding them over their head. But it doesn't mean there might not be consequences. For example, let's say the husband took the credit card and charged it up and charged so much that you're losing your car and you're losing your possessions and they just can't handle money. Well, the consequences is you may have to take over the checkbook and cut up the credit cards and you don't get one. I'm going to have to give you the cash system. But punishment would be every day I remind you of it. Every day I hit you again. I beat you up. I tell you. Consequences are okay, but punishment, we are to forgive and to release the penalty of condemnation. And that fulfills the law of Christ. That is a value that Christ has given to us. Are there consequences to our sins here on earth? You better believe there are. But there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We're not under the curse or the punishment of those sins any longer. Now let's look, when we talk about forgiveness, what are five kinds of conflicts that sometimes need to be forgiven? Well, number one, the sin of one spouse. Sometimes one spouse just messes up and they've sinned, and both of you know it. What, how do I handle that when that happens? Number one, choose the right time and the right place. In other words, first of all, don't do it in the fit of emotion and anger. Number two, don't do it in front of other people. And hopefully, if you can, try not to do it in front of your children. Pick the right time and the right place. Show respect. Deal with one issue at a time. When you get in that process, don't start saying, well, and another thing. You remember last year when you wrecked the car? And your mother drives me crazy. And you, you know what I mean? We, and we go in and we start picking these things up. And so now it's just a war. It has nothing to do with reality. One issue at a time. Stay in the present and come up with a resolution. Number two, conflicts sometimes occur because of the brokenness or the immaturity of, of a spouse. It may be that there are some things about your spouse that are going to take significant time for them to grow out of, and you're going to have to adjust to reality. It may be that your spouse deals with brokenness or deals with depression, and you're going to need to adjust to some reality. You're going to need to communicate support. And you're going to need to face the issue together. Number three, hurt feelings. And realize sometimes you get your feelings hurt, and he or she might not realize it and might not have done anything to do it. And sometimes you have to recognize this is your feelings, and you're just going to have to own it. You're going to have to, first of all, share it when you get to that point and say, this is what I'm feeling, and I own this. I know this is what hurts me, and I want you to help me with it if you possibly can, and I want to identify it. Number four, conflicting desires. What do you do when there are conflicting desires in the marriage? In other words, you like this type of movie, the other the spouse likes this. In, in my house, my wife likes chick flicks, and I don't. Okay? You know, but here's, what, here's a real bad thing for me to do, is to moralize it. Honey, you know those are about Hollywood marriages. They're not realistic, and we don't even want that. That's not even real, and that's just, I don't even like that message. 
what we need to do is we need to go watch Rambo because this is, I mean, that's real life. And that's good. And we learn about geography and the military. And I think that's just good for us. You know, when we start to spiritualize things that have no business being spiritualized, it's simply issues of taste. But what about one step further? What if it's something like church? Well, I like traditional music, and you like praise and worship. You know, here's a bad thing to do. Well, I I just can't go to the... I'm sorry, I'm not going to that church. They don't really love God because they don't sing out of a hymn book. Or this one over here, I can't go over there. I mean, there's just... All they do is stick their nose in a book and read it, and that's just... You can't tell me that's church. You're moralizing your decision. You're, you're trying to take your taste issue and make it right. You know what? Just recognize that they've got a different taste, and you may have to meet somewhere in the middle. Or one partner who is really passionate about it, and if you really want to love your spouse, you may have to go to the side and, and just recognize, hey, yeah, they got drums and electric guitar, but I can get over it, all right? God, can you give me the grace to listen for five minutes to drums? I, I mean, I really think he can do that, all right? And, or maybe it's on the other side. Maybe, you know, it's a situation where it would really mean a lot to your spouse and they can really worship if it was a more structured and more formal type of worship. Okay, those are real life situations. As a matter of fact, somebody could probably raise your hand and go, hey, we deal with that right here. I understand. Don't moralize that. Don't make that a biblical issue that God that says you're right and they're wrong. Recognize there are taste issues going on right there and approach it in such a way. Again, if they're teaching the word of God, the spiritual truth. And we talked about what that was a couple of weeks ago. If you don't know that, then I suggest you get online and, and look that. I'd really encourage you to do that. If they are teaching the tenets of the faith and um, they are preaching the values of Scripture and uh, that Christ and Him alone and crucified and that we are all sinners and need grace and forgiveness and through the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ we can obtain that, we have been given that, hey, then we can walk through things that maybe are not our taste. Uh, continuing on, known versus unknown problems. You know, if it's, again, we talked about this earlier, if it's an unknown problem, then let's gently tell them, hey, this is a problem. This is something I'm observing. This is something that I'm dealing with, and I want us to talk about it. I want us to deal with. And then agree, make an agreement that uh, you both love and respect each other, that you can share what it is that's bothering you without getting defensive. Okay, we're going to have a time, and is this a good time that we can talk? Can we have a, a conversation? Well, let's just have a time where we talk, and I can just share some things that are on my heart, and I welcome you to do, and we're just going to agree right up front not to be defensive. And if we're not at that point, then, hey, you know what? Push pause. And I know what you're thinking. My husband, my wife always pushes pause. We can never have that discussion. Well, then you might need outside help from a friend or a spiritual advisor or somebody that you both respect. Whatever it takes, have a plan and begin to work it, to seek, to know uh, your spouse and to encourage your spouse so that you may have the opportunity to live in the image of God and to portray the image of God. So could it be that God wants us more to be holy than happy? And here's my contention that when we become holy, happiness is not far behind. doesn't mean we won't struggle. doesn't mean we won't suffer. certainly doesn't mean that you get everything you want. It means that God changes our orientation. Well, I want us to conclude this morning 
by a time of prayer. And I want to invite everybody to just pray this morning. I want you to just pray for your relationship. Maybe uh, you're, you're not married. You can pray about a future relationship or pray for a child or uh, your parents' uh, relationship, whoever God has put in your life. But I want us to just take a moment and just pray about some of the aspects of our marriage. First of all, I want to ask you to just pray for God's power and permanence upon your relationship. I'm sure in a crowd this size, there are some that are considering walking out the door right now, just quitting. I want to ask you to ask God to provide you the power and the permanence to stay, recognizing that God wants to use this time to refine you and to create you into His image. Secondly, I want you to pray uh, that God would give you a spirit of forgiveness and a spirit of faithfulness in your marriage. A forgiveness and faithfulness in your marriage. You may just need to pray this for yourself. Not necessarily praying this for your spouse, but pray for the institution and pray that you would be commit to be faithful and forgiving in your relationship. And lastly, I want you to pray for purity in your relationship. Purity from sexual immorality, but also purity of of mind and of heart. Purity in the sense that you invite God to work through your life, to purify you through the process of marriage, through that refinement. And that you choose to glorify God no matter what. Heavenly Father, we thank You for this time together this morning. We thank You that while we were still sinners, You died for us. And we thank You, Lord, that uh, You have created the institution of marriage. And Lord, while it is supposed to bring, uh, Lord, joy, and it is supposed to bring some fulfillment into our life, it's most, Lord, supposed to be a method in which we glorify You and bring You glory. And for all of us, that means we need to be refined Lord, I pray that in this refining process, we would not be quick to look to the right or the left, but that we would look up to You so that You might sustain us, You might preserve us, You might empower us so that we might glorify You. Lord, for those who have spouses that don't believe or who are far from You, Lord, I pray that You would uh, give extra grace in those relationships and that You would use... Uh, Lord, the believing spouse, to live a life of love and compassion and grace that draws the other person through the power of Your Spirit. Lord, for those who have uh, suffered through a painful uh, dissolvement of their marriage, Lord, I pray that You would strengthen and encourage their hearts and use this time of singleness, God, to renew them and strengthen them. And Lord, for those who have marriages who are who are okay, God, and and who, uh, Lord, they would even call good, I pray, Lord, that you would remind them that when the days are tough and difficult times come, that you are there and that you want to use those times to refine us and to create us into your image. And, Lord, you want us to live by your values of loving you and being faithful. Lord, we want to be forgiving. And, Lord, we want to seek you. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.